sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of the early line. Dane Martinez and the candle burner, Kevin Walsh, giving you everything you need. We turn our attention to the NBA, which, by the way, if you don't know, like we've got like preseason games next weekend, Kev. Okay, we've got less than three weeks until the start of the regular season. So we do have to catch up on certain things. Remember, there was a little bit of a a big wave of free agency at the start when it opened right right after. After the draft and we were talking about it obi-wan kenobi with the knicks and other big time players that will change the fortunes of franchises but talking about moves that'll change the fortune of franchises yesterday we heard of a blockbuster deal in the nba i'm talking names that like your little cousin and your grandmother have heard of okay the houston rockets have traded Russell Westbrook to the Washington Wizards for John Wall and a first round pick. This is interesting to me, Kev, because in Washington, we heard about Beal and Wall and how that would work. In Houston, we've heard about Russ and Harden and how that would work. We heard people potentially wanting out, wanting to stay, all sorts of reasons why. But ultimately, this does go down in advance of the start of the season. Let's start with Westbrook now. Westbrook going to one partnered up with Bradley Beal. And it sounds to me that another one of these driving factors, a lot of people are saying Washington was Russ's preferred destination. And it seems like a former coach may have something to do with this as well. How do you think this looks for Russ and ultimately the Washington Wizards? It's very interesting. Scott Brooks did seem to be who is the head coach of the Wizards and was the head coach of the Thunder when they were going through their rise and played the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. And apparently there's a a level of comfortability there when it comes to Russ and Scott Brooks. I was slightly surprised because I felt like Scott couldn't really reign in Russ, but then again, who really can? And I actually think it's a pretty telling kind of driving force for Russ, though, Dane, because hmm. what we understand with this situation in Houston is there's a le- they're, they're uncomfortable, both Russell Westbrook and James Harden, yes. with all of the movement from the offseason, both Mike D'Antoni yeah. and Daryl Morey leaving and the organization. And, and ownership, right. apparently. Absolutely. So when you think about the fact that Russ is linked to going and now ends up in Washington with Scott Brooks. Dane, where's Harden linked? He's more comfortable. Where Daryl is, where Daryl is, or where Mike D'Antoni is. It's yeah, you know it, yeah. it shows that it, that is not fluff. It is not a cop-out. It is not the two of them looking at Houston as like, oh, we can't win here. They just don't seem to be comfortable with these moves. And making yeah. sure your stars are comfortable is as important of a piece of the puzzle as there is, Dane. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? We make jokes about things like the banana boat trip and, oh, this guy toasted at this guy's wedding and they want to play together, right? But it's natural, Kev. It's human tendency. Mm -hmm. You talked about them being uncomfortable and now Russ is with a 
coach that he is familiar with that he knows Kevin 10 years. If I'm working on another network or you're working on another network, right? And you have the option to do a show with someone you've never met before and heard of, or to bring the right. gang back together and do another right. show with me, I would think, I would hope you would choose <laughs> the latter, right? And so I think it right. is in fact human nature. Let's talk about this from the Houston side. How does a guy like Wall mesh with Harden? We know Harden wants the ball in his hands all the time. And now you got John John Wall, who, listen, I always thought was better than the credit he got. I always thought John Wall was a beast, that John Wall was um, erroneously left off of lists that I thought he should be on. But the man hasn't played in two years, Kev. So talk to me what you expect from John Wall. It certainly has been a long time. Let me also bring in our radio audience. We appreciate you for joining us here on. See, that's the why I need you line. joining me on a show in ten years, bro. You cover <laughs> me. I like it. No problem. We got it ready to roll. We appreciate everybody hopping in the mix with us, talking a little John Wall, Russell Westbrook swap. One of my this is one. Of, there's just so many aspects of this trade that I love. Here's the thing with John Wall. I am bullish on his return. I am one laying my cards on the table. I love John Wall. I I cheer for Kentucky basketball. John Wall is maybe the biggest reason that I cheer for Kentucky basketball. Not actually, Judd? (laughs) Surprisingly, no. Surprisingly, no. Maybe she'll come in at, like, you know, option four or five. But John Wall is a player that I... I am a massive fan of, and I want to see get right. So when the off-season reports of him saying that I was playing with bone spurs and and I am now fully, finally healthy in a way that I have not been in a very long time, I am more liable to buy hook, line, and sinker. But there are also people out there who are completely dismissing those things coming from John Wall, and I think that's a little unfair. I mean... I know we hear best shape of my life a lot from guys, but John Wall took a lot of time off to get himself right. And I'm bullish that he has gotten himself right. So from that angle, I'm excited about it. But the big question that lingers and the reason why this trade is so, I just think it's a cool trade. It's an awesome trade. Two all-star guards get traded with these albatross contracts that nobody else would want, so the only way they get moved is trading places. And the biggest result is the two remaining all-star two guards on the team are now, oh, are they leaving? The question around John Wall is how does James Harden feel about the prospect of playing which are similar with Bradley Beal and similar with Bradley Beal in Washington. So this is very interesting to discuss. When we come back, we talk more NBA, get you all caught up on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here onto the early line, chopping it up NBA style with my man Kevin Walsh. He's excited. I'm excited. The NBA season is going to get going in less than three weeks. And so we got to catch everybody up. There was a huge trade in the NBA last night. Westbrook and Wall are going to different destinations. All star guards in all star backcourts will look different in Houston and Washington. 
then again, who knows? Maybe the dealing is not done. Maybe the Wizards were like, we can fleece the Knicks for Russ. Who knows? We will see. But there was more things that were going on around your Lakers, Kev, <laughs> yesterday. Anybody who doesn't know, hasn't watched the early line, Kevin rides with the King and the Lakers and the defending champions, and they got the gang back together, right? Because um, in the last 24 hours, LeBron James signs an extension two years uh i believe it's like 85 million dollars i fundamentally believe that lebron's lone goal anymore for his rest of his career is to stick around long enough to play with his son and this may get him to that time horizon and then also anthony davis has just agreed to his max contract to stay with the los angeles lakers we got a little bit of an option in there five years a hundred and 90 million so you know the kind of batman and robin dynamic duo that led the lakers to a championship in the bubble if you heard lebron saying they are imminently capable of repeating that they like the youth and the depth that they got in harrell and schroeder specifically they're ready to make yet another run kev 100 i mean this is a huge 24-hour stretch when you look at this from the L.A. Lakers, not just for this upcoming season and the just a bit of breathing room that you now have, but for the future. Of course, being able to sign LeBron for any longer is really a huge indicator of how much he trusts this front office. I mean, LeBron's been rolling. He's one plus ones. At most, he'll give you a two plus one. Needs right. all of the flexibility in the world because if you mess up, he's gone. He's dipping, and he needs to keep yeah, those keeps options the pressure on the organization. He keeps to his win, one hundred percent. And he needed all of that leverage in Cleveland because Dan Gilbert is a mess and has been a mess every time he has to do anything where LeBron is not there to bail him out. What a clown! But Rob Palinka and those boys have been getting the job done. Rob Palinka, sneaky, incredible GM when Magic Johnson's not around. It turns out. I mean, that's just what it seems like. So for LeBron to give him that vote of confidence, it's a big deal. I also think LeBron makes that decision to encourage Anthony Davis to to go ahead and sign the long-term max contract. And that's what Anthony Davis has now done this morning. A five-year, $190 million deal, an option on the last year. You always keep, pretty much, if you're a star player, you you get yourself a player option on the last year. It's just what you're supposed to do. And that is just as important for this Lakers franchise. Because let's be honest, I mean, they are the Lakers, you know, the most famous organization in the sport. We get that. But until LeBron got there, they were in a massive rut relative to their expectations. They couldn't get to the playoffs. And what we've seen from teams when LeBron leaves is you go right back to the rut when he's gone. Well, having Anthony Davis, one of the, let's call it, six best players in the NBA right now, and one of probably the top five guys that you would want on your team for over the next seven, eight years, being locked into your organization is a grand slam, pop all of the bottles of champagne moment the fan base needs to be celebrating because Anthony Davis has now committed, and that is going to keep them competitive for the length of that contract. 
Yeah. And, you know, Kevin's popping champagne as well, because not only in this segment does he get to uh, appreciate that the Lakers are well built to repeat, but I'm going to give him an opportunity also in this segment to do something else. He'd love the chance to do. And that's talk about the Lakers opponent on opening night, the Los Angeles Clippers, who is coming out as well. Not only do they lose Montrez Harrell to those Lakers, but now what we're hearing is that all is not right in Clipperland. We know that Doc is gone, and it seems like there are reports Kawhi and PG-13, those superstars, right, that, well, apparently, it feels like the rest of the team is looking at them sideways, like they're getting preferential treatment, like they had their own practice schedule that Kawhi, who was in San Diego, couldn't post on time. I know that to be true. As you know, my wife, the unicorn, is from San Diego. I have connections to Kawhi through San Diego, so I know that that is true. And, like, they thought they could manage their own load. This sounds like drama a little early before the season even starts. So while you love the way the Lakers look now and moving forward, what do you think about what we're hearing out of Clipperland, Kev? I mean, simply put, the vibe around these two teams couldn't be any more different. LeBron and that Lakers team, I mean, the driving force between the confidence that I had in that group was the clear and obvious chemistry that they had. A genuine togetherness that was going to push them through a very difficult task of winning a title in that bubble. I mean, it also didn't hurt to have the best player in the world and another top five guy in AD beside him. But they also very clearly loved playing together. And all they've now done this offseason, Dane, is multiply that by locking themselves in long-term to this organization. It is a calming sense for the organization. We know that we're going to be competitive this year, but also next year and the year after that. And we can now make moves accordingly. We don't have to be rash. We don't have to be quick. We can think things out. All the opposite of the LA Clippers, these organizational issues are a big reason that Montrezl Harrell took a haircut to stay at the Staples Center, but not wear the black and white or the blue and red or whatever the heck their main colors are now, (laughs) and go play for the purple and gold. Because Montrezl Harrell was someone that clearly took umbrage with the way the Clippers not only managed Kawhi, But also for a lot of these guys thinking, okay, Kawhi, fine. What has Paul George done? I mean, it's just ridiculous that this guy is getting the same level of treatment. And all of these issues, Dane, have not Mm -hmm. gone away. There is no reason to believe that that this is an article written through the eyes of Montrezl Harrell. Because Harrell was also taken to task in this excellent piece from The Athletic. That gives you all of the ins and outs. Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Kawhi Paul George, all very important pieces of this article. All still around. And all of this lingers now, Dane, with a new head coach. Yeah. Right? Right. Two assistants that people think are qualified to take the head coaching position, Kenny Atkinson and Chauncey Billups, which is never a comfortable situation. Oh, and by the way... Their two superstars can opt out at season's end, which means if they struggle, 
during any stretch of this season, pre-deadline. Trade deadline. They might Trade have deadline. to make a rash decision. One that could very well be, we can't lose both of these guys for nothing. Anybody want right. Paul George? Right. No, I think that makes sense. You know, when you play it out and, you know, this could start. We don't like what we're hearing already. I overlay the Lakers on the other side of town. I overlay the, you know, 38 other Western Conference teams that we like that we think are ascending, <laughs> you know, at the same time. Right. And it does not look like a good equation for the Clippers. Let me ask you this. Have they already missed their window? What a question. I... I will say no, because there is still a ton of talent on this team. Okay. They are not they are not my pick to win, but this organization can find themselves in a hole that only the Brooklyn Nets from a few years back could relate to. If these two guys say we can't stay there, all of their assets are gone because they needed yeah. to get rid of them to make this duo possible. All right, well, this team tiffs off against the Lakers in, like, 19 days. When we come back, we got a new friend of the show, Jim Root. We talk college basketball on the early line. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back into the early line, giving you the edge here on Sports Grid, working our get our guest Jim Root on and popping to talk a little bit of college rack, as our guy uh, Scotty Farrell would say. But Kev, let me ask you before we start here, you know, we saw some big time games. We are seeing kind of ranked versus ranked in all these little tournaments, right? Whether it's like the Champions mm-hmm. Classic, where we'll see Duke and Michigan State. We got some good games yesterday also, like two top five teams in Baylor, Illinois, we got to see yeah. Gonzaga up against good competition. And I want to ask you, Kev, what do you think about Gonzaga? You know, because we, we bring in mid-major Matt all the time. Gonzaga's kind of different, right? When they say anytime, any place, anywhere, they are taking on all comers, Kev, right? West Virginia, they're playing Kansas. They got a tilt against Baylor on the horizon. To what extent does Mark Few and Gonzaga still have to do this. That's what I want to know. But, Kev, mm-hmm. I could ask you any day of the week. I want to ask <laughs> our guest who is an expert. And so we do that now with Jim Root, who we want to bring on in. Hey, Jim, thanks for joining the show for a few minutes here on the early line. Absolutely. Excited to be here. I'm always ready to talk college basketball. Sounds good. So I don't know if you heard, I wanted to ask you about Mark Few and Gonzaga because they're not a mid-major anymore almost, right? Like they are one of the big boys. This is a team that went to a national championship game a mere few years ago. People think they are the best team in the country and they are scheduling big boys left and right. Does that really help augment their case come late February or do we know Gonzaga's good? I think they still have to. There's there's a weird subsect of college basketball fans that are still on this. Gonzaga doesn't play anyone, and, mm. and they just are throwing that at them all the time. They're like, oh, they don't go far enough in the tournament. They haven't won a title. But look, they've made the Elite Eight, I think, five of the last six years, something like that. Mm. And just because the WCC doesn't have a bunch of nationally ranked opponents like the Big Ten does, 
that doesn't mean they're they're bad, but I, I love Fuse's strategy of just like you said, anyone, anytime, anywhere, let's go out and prove that we're this good of a team. I mean, look, you beat a top 10 team in West Virginia on a neutral court last night, did the same thing to Kansas to start the season. And like you said, now they get Baylor. I mean, it's just it's great to at least have that ammunition. As someone that fully believes they're the best team in the country, you know, it's like they can't punch holes in their argument by saying you didn't play anybody. If you go out and just mm-hmm. take care of business against three top ten teams. You know, Jim, I mean, they scored 87 points. I feel like they had an off night offensively. I mean, what in the world are we doing here? Four of their five starters are probably going to make the Wooden Awards finalist list. This team is, like, it's, I think the idea of, oh, it's loaded for a Gonzaga. No, forget that. This team feels special. I don't want to get my head over my skis. We're three games in to what's going to be an insane season. This group, and they're going to play Baylor, and I can't wait for that game. This group feels special. This group feels like one that we are going to remember for a long time. Do you see it similarly? Yeah, I certainly at this point in the season, it's hard not to. I, I came into the season expecting them to be be number one. I, I thought they were the clear number one, and they've exceeded even my expectations. I, I blown away by their offense. Like you said, a bad night is 87 points against a top 10 defense in West Virginia. It's like it's, it's, it's outrageous. Yeah. I'll get Barry plays defense. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Had my, you know, heart in my throat when Jalen Suggs went down with that injury and he looked mm-hmm. like he was in real desperate pain and suddenly he's jogging in the, in the hallway and coming back in and, it's great to see him back out there, but like, look, they've never had a freshman like that—a guy that's potentially National Player of the Year, like you said. It's mm-hmm. it's wild. It's great to see Gonzaga with this kind of talent because it's not just Mark Few's magic and development; it is raw talent, and we're seeing that he can make it work with that level of guy too. Hey, Jim, I gotta ask you, kind of like the big, the pink elephant in the room, right? I was literally last year in March doing a live show at one of our studios when St. John's and Creighton played the first half of a conference tournament game and then did not come out for the second half. Okay, so let me ask you, especially when we see in college basketball, I mean, college football, when we see in the uh, NFL what is happening, we know the status of the virus and what we expect it to be over the next month or two. Right. On its face, when I look at it and I see college basketball, they got like two, three games in one week, not one week like a college football team. Right. The rosters are smaller. They're playing indoors, for goodness sakes. Right. There's already been a ton of cancellations and we don't see it as much because there's, you know, 340 schools playing or something like this. Talk to me about your level of confidence that we get through all of this, you know, that we are seeing a March Madness, whether it's in a bubble or four different pods or who knows what. How do you think the NCAA is going to handle this season? I, I think the season is is in pretty decent shape, more or less. I mean, we, we are getting, I think, like over 80% of games that are scheduled are still going off, which is a pretty solid rate for an indoor sport at this point. And the one thing I don't think we need to worry about is the NCAA tournament. The NCAA needs that revenue badly. They took a huge hit by not having the tournament last year. So in some form or another, they will have it, whether it's a bubble. I mean, they've, I think they've already announced that the layoff between Selection Sunday and the start of the season will be a little longer than in years past just because they want time to test every team, get them into a bubble, and make that happen so that there's no worry about 
a potential, you know, if a team tests positive in the tournament, that's a, that's a disaster. It throws off scheduling. So I don't think they'll uh, want to run into that. So the, the bubble thing makes sense. I, I just, you know, they're going to try to get games in whenever they can. Teams are doing a, seemingly a good job of following protocol and sitting out when they have to, coming back when it's safe. So if we can get over the the mental fatigue of just seeing a game canceled, a game canceled, a game canceled, then I, I think we'll be all right. I think we'll have a season. I think we're going to get to March, and you know people are going to be able to fill out their brackets once again. Yeah, they, we will. I definitely think, like you, we will be getting a tournament. And when we get there, I mean, Gonzaga, if they're not a one seed, something has gone incredibly wrong. Odds are Baylor, who they're supposed to play Saturday, just looks like they're going to be one of those teams. They maybe had a more impressive performance yesterday playing number five, Illinois, winning that game yeah. by 13 points. I mean, Jim, what was your big takeaway from that one? Kofi Cockburn's uh, foul trouble seemed to be a big story, but I don't want to take away from what Baylor did on both ends of the basketball in that matchup. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think people got so locked in on what Baylor brought back. Uh, you know, they've got these great three guards. They bring back Mark Vitale in the front court, who's one of the best defenders in the country. But we're worried about Freddie Gillespie at center. We're worried about maybe bench scoring. And Adam Flagler, the, the transfer from Presbyterian last night, I think he had you know 17 or something like that off the bench. He's been terrific through mm-hmm. uh, their start to the season. And then Jonathan Chamwa Chachua, the UNLV transfer, kind of kind of did the work on the inside. I mean, he was getting he was yeah. doing all the Gillespie stuff, cleaning up on the defensive end, diving for loose balls, getting an extra possession on the offensive glass. So if they've still got those pieces, that that bench scoring, the physicality inside, the sky is the limit for them. Man, they are they are just sub Gonzaga barely. They're right mm. below that tier, uh, and we're going to see on Saturday. Maybe they'll assert themselves and be above that. All right, Jim, we're talking a lot of big picture stuff, a lot of long range stuff. Let's make some money in the short term, Jim. We got some interesting games coming up over the next couple of days, like USC versus UConn, uh, Arizona State getting involved. Give me some games that are on the horizon that you feel pretty strongly about. We're going to have you back on air with us on the show, but only if you make me some money, Jim. Come on. Oh, man. I'll do what I can. <laughs> uh, yeah, you mentioned you mentioned USC-UConn today. That, that's going off at the Mohegan yep. Sun. Part of a, a back-to-back with Boston College in Florida. And I think the one I like there is, is potentially the Boston College-Florida, the underdog, BC. I mean, we saw Florida look like a mess yesterday against Army. Yeah. They were down at halftime. And it, look, they've just been sloppy two straight seasons to start. It doesn't seem like Mike White's really got that team threaded together the way it needs to be. And BC's look pretty good, other than giving up 95 points to St. John's and a game that barely qualified as basketball. It was more of a track I, meet. I don't know what that was. Yeah, BC's been pretty solid. They they've, they brought in a bunch of talent this offseason and and have stepped up and played a really tough schedule to start. So I kind of like them. I think I saw a very early line. I don't know. Appropriate to the show name. There you uh, go. Around seven, seven and a half. Yeah. Got to work in the plugs, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> like seven, like seven it. and a half. I'd be happy to see that line. And even if it goes a little a little lower, six, six and a half, I'd, I'd take the Eagles there. And I don't trust Florida as a favorite right now. Interesting stuff. Maybe, you know, Nemhard obviously transferred to Gonzaga. That could be a piece of that puzzle. I want to ask you about Arizona State because this team played Villanova pretty tight. And Remy Martin was horrendous in the game. I mean, that might be the worst game he plays all year. And that was a... A game within the margins. Josh Christopher, as a young freshman, played well in that game, was a hero for overbackers. 
me, and I love him for it. What do you make of this Arizona State team getting involved late night here, laying seven and a half to Cal? Got about a minute they, left. They sort of, yeah, they sort of are who I who I thought they were. I mean, they they don't play defense. I think that was like the concern with them coming in. But that guard trio, you know, quadrumvirate that they've got in the backcourt is ridiculous. <laughs> they can get points like crazy. But if they can't stop anybody, it's hard to really invest in them too much, especially as a road favorite in a conference game tonight. That that's kind of the the crazy part to me is we see conference going mm-hmm. off early here, and usually to start conference play, tempo goes down a little bit. Teams might tighten up a tad, and it's rare for it to be this early in the season. But I, I have a very hard time trusting them as a road favorite against a Cal team that has been a little more solid than than in you know maybe decades past or, or years past. <laughs> Mark Fox has got them up to respectability with with our boy Matt Bradley, a big lefty shooter on the squad. So yeah, I, I, hey, I'd Jim. stay away from Arizona State tonight. Jim, you talk about the plugs. You got the early line one in. How can we see your work? I know we can follow you on Twitter. Where do we see your work, bro? Yeah, at 3MW underscore CBB is the website or is the Twitter handle. 3-man-weave.com is the website. And then uh, we do a daily show on SBR. That should come up in about a half hour now, or an hour and a half. Sounds SBR, good. SBR well, Sports. you get ready for that. And if you win us some money, we'll have you back. Thanks for spending some time with us on the early live. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back in, everybody, right here to the early line, giving you the edge. That was good stuff with our guy Jim Root here talking college basketball. We hope to bring him on, of course, if he makes me a little bit of money in my account. I was on Kansas minus four and a half the other day, and then homeboy tries to dunk it as time expires. Would have got me to five, but I digress. That's okay. Kev, before that, we were talking in the NBA, right? And, uh, again, I make the joke all the time, but you light up. All the time when we talk about the NBA. So unfortunately, I have to bring a story about the NBA that is less than ideal, Kevin. Get your honest thoughts Mm -hmm. about it. I know you thought the bubble was the answer and it proved to be correct. However, this season... We are not in a bubble. This season, just like college football that's going on right now, just like baseball that was going on, just like the NFL, these teams will be traveling from market to market, city to city, doing the testing, doing the contract tracing, right, and maybe down for five days, ten days. And on an NBA schedule, there's more games in a 10-day window than in an NFL schedule, right? If four players go down on a team, that's a greater chunk of the roster than on an NFL team. And, you know, even Doc Rivers was in front of a microphone saying things like that. And I got to tell you something. I don't know if this is just, you know, uh, a microcosm of the country or uh, NBA players, you know, having to get into the habit of, you know, doing their thing to stay eligible. But the first round of NBA COVID-19 testing happened among their players, Kev, um, over the last week. And the NBA released their results. And, Kev, it's a lot. 9%, Kev, of the players tested. I believe it's something like 48 out of the 540 or something. You know, We're talking about about 9% came back positive, Kev. Now, for context, we're here in New York City. They were talking about shutting their school system down at 3%. The CDC says you have, you know, community transmission spread at 5%. 
the NBA player universe, 9% of them tested positive. Now, they'll be isolated. They'll do the tracing. When they clear, they'll be able to rejoin their teams. We say the way sports does this now, but this is not a bubble, Kev, and this is not the best starting point. You know, it's really interesting to try to figure out how, and we we didn't really get word, how did the NBA react to that positive rate? We know, and you mentioned it, kind of in other walks of life, that 9% would be a very jarring number that would lead. It's not good. No, 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 I'm not going to pretend that it is good. Uh, I wouldn't say that at all. Here's here's what I would say, though. All of this stuff, of course, is going to be relative. So 48 players with positive tests, it would even out to about one and a half guys per team. One or two. Right? So if I told you that each team was was missing a guy or two. A 12-man roster is like one or two. Right. It's not ideal. It's also not going to close the season down or anything of that nature. What I think is really going to be fascinating, Dane, is how this develops. So when the NBA first started testing players, right, and I'm talking about pre-bubble, hey, like DeAndre Jordan's going back to Brooklyn to work out and so he can go to the bubble, test positive, those test results, right? They were were like, whoa, oh, guys, there's, there's a bunch of positives, it feels like, here. And then as it carried on, it served as a reminder, and the NBA got it right. Now, of course, the bubble aided all of that, 100%. You would think, though, Dane, and maybe you, you wouldn't, that this number only goes down. Because a 9% rate is pretty high. I guess the question is, what is the rate that the NBA is looking for? And what is a realistic rate for the NBA when it comes to rounds of positive testing? Yeah. I think that is fair. Um, the one thing I will push back on is I, I there's no way to expect the rate to only go down. <laughs> These guys are not in bubbles. These guys are going home in society, <laughs> right? These rates are going up. And these guys are not just holed up in the wild world of sports in a quarantine bubble. They're going home where their families, where their children are part of society, right? So, I, you know, I hope. It goes mm-hmm. down, and when, and even like what we're hearing in the NFL, right? That when they're with the team in the facilities, they're they're sealed up. That's not the concern. The concern is when these human beings are out and about in life and in society. And I think that is still in play, whether you're a basketball player, or a football player, right. or a baseball player, right? Yeah, and and you know what was really interesting. So if we go. All the way back, right? When we were kind of talking about the MLB versus the NBA versus this versus that versus the third. I remember one of the things I had said to you is that I thought why the NBA was taking things a lot more seriously. And their players seemed to be understanding the gravity of the situation a bit more than, say, your baseball or your football players. Is they were were the, the most famous positive test of coronavirus was Rudy Gobert's, right? Or at least that was the sure. one that had the biggest ripple effect. I mean, the NBA Second to and Donald their relationship. Yes. <laughs> Rudy Gobert, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, you I guess that is at least the the chain yes. of events, right? And so sure. the NBA and their relationship to COVID-19, I mean, it is a they were right there when it all happened, right? So then this yes. goes on and and they take things very seriously. I also wonder, though, if then for these NBA players, as 
If anybody was going to feel like they beat COVID-19, it would be the NBA, right? I mean, the bubble kicked this thing's <laughs> ass. There's just no other way to describe it. I mean, it was a flawless bubble, L- literally. Like, there was not a pot. Like, it's still crazy to think about. Like, sometimes I wonder if we give them enough credit for how well that all worked out. But that's neither here nor there. I wonder if there was a false sense of security from some of the players around the league, and they didn't take the measures that, again, they're going to have to be taking throughout right. this season. You, I, I agree with you in that. Listen, from what we understand about the virus, things could be getting worse. I would just say, though, that that first initial round of testing where you are probably getting players in at the level where they have been treating things with the least caution and going through the fewest protocols is why I would think there's a good chance that at least the numbers that we get preseason you would think would be the apex it's not a guarantee but one would think that yeah i mean i you know maybe (laughs) right and i think because part of what we are also seeing you know and i'm not a doctor but people are like i don't know where i got it from right like it's just out there in the community that's why above five percent that's it's just out there right and this is Mm -hmm. not a bubble and we have to remember that let me ask you about a different thing here because remember okay health and safety abundance of caution we got it but the other things the nfl is now dealing with Mm -hmm. do you expect how will the nba deal with things like um all four guards on one team at mm. one time getting it, right? What about, and you talk about, we, we, we do the math and break it out to one or two players a team, right? But we know that's not the way it happens. There's going to be there's NFL teams that haven't had a single case. Only one is the Seattle Seahawks. There's other teams, though, where they have five, six, seven, eight. So it's not going to be this, like, beautiful, easy, averaged-out spread that will make us feel like, oh, it's only one. It's okay. What I think we're going to have, Kev, is Team X will have, you know, one player, then six, right? Or 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 Team B will have nobody will look like the Rockets because nobody above six, eight will be available on their roster, right? Like when those kinds of things happen or will they push games back in the NBA? Will they? There's no buys in the NBA. What will they do wiggle room of schedule wise, right? I get it. That they're going to go through. I get it that the, the risk is what the risk is because we are living in this country in this time. But what about how the NBA is going to handle the tough decisions that inevitably will come? We see college basketball struggling with it. I mean, college football, struggling, college basketball, the NBA. Hockey hasn't even decided if, if or when or how they're going to start. Right? Like, how are they going to handle the Toronto Raptors? They're playing in Tampa? Okay. Like, there's just so many other questions, right? How do you think the NBA, with their great commissioner and their trust and open communication, how do they handle this all, Kev? So, my answer is I have confidence in the NBA to handle this. Now, I can't provide you all of those answers. If I could, then I'd be the commissioner of the NBA. Here's what I know. Major League Baseball, on the day of opening day, reformatted their playoff schedule. We still don't know the NFL playoff format with 100% certainty. Correct. The NBA has already built in a different playoff format that clearly will be factoring in that this is not going to be a flawless every team plays 72-game setup. And that is the thing... 
that when we go again back to when we were talking about the bubble and will this work, won't mm-hmm. this work? The NBA, from what everything we've seen, they have earned that benefit of the doubt. They provide themselves as much of a runway as possible to plan these things out. And they do keep that open line of communication so both parties can get to their end goal, which is incredibly important to all of this working out the way it is intended to work out. No, I think that's fair. You know, my I bristle at the NFL at times when it looks like they are trying to control things that are just, quite frankly, out of their control. Right. And so I wonder if the NBA will take that approach or not or, you know, whether they'll have an abundance of caution, Kev. Mm -hmm. One thing we do know about the NBA is that Kemba Walker will not be playing anytime soon. He had a procedure with his knee and it looks like he's going to be out until January. Talk to me about Kemba Walker and the Celtics. Like a lot of people think he did not do to what he was expected to do uh, with the Boston Celtics, had an interesting playoffs, and he's going to be there as, you know, one of the big boys there for the Celtics this year, at least in January. What does this mean for Kemba? What does this mean for the Celtics? So it's a big deal because Kemba is still an important player on this team. Yeah, Their big offseason addition was Tristan Thompson. I think he's got value to that team. But they lost Gordon Hayward. So Jason Tatum will now enter the year as the best player on the team and the lead shot taker and scorer and carry that load. Maybe Jalen Brown even passes Kemba and Kemba becomes option C on this team. It doesn't matter that he is paid as option A. That's not important. Contracts Mm -hmm. are what they are. So Kemba still is going to enter this season, I think, name with expectations to be very important to this team. I think a lot of these teams are going to say marathon, not a sprint, and they're not going to rush guys mm-hmm. back. But we have lines out right now for two Boston Celtic games. They just so happen to be against the two teams that are the top two choice when it comes to the futures market in the Eastern Conference. Right. They're going to play the Milwaukee Bucks. The Christmas game. And they yeah. are currently, and that game is going to be in Boston. They are two-point dogs. They're going to play the Brooklyn Nets on Christmas, and they are one-point dogs in those games. Now, I think that Boston can be competitive regardless because Brad Stevens is a good coach. Jason Tatum is taking a leap, and they are always a tough out. But those are spreads, Dane, where I can just play Money line, minus 130, Milwaukee is available. Minus Fair. 116 is Brooklyn is available. I wonder how much folks at home look at these lines and are factoring in Kemba's absence. Would Boston be favored over those two teams if Kemba was there? That's suspicious. Interesting. You mentioned a Boston-Milwaukee game and a line out for that already. There's another huge linchpin to what that potential point spread would be. I want to get your updated thoughts on that as we wrap up the early line on the other side of this commercial break. I ask Kev about Giannis. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 
Welcome back in, everybody, to the early line as we wrap up another episode. Kev, I just got to ask you, I want to get caught up here. Like, we're talking about Westbrook and Harden and Kemba, the biggest name in terms of player movement. I haven't heard anything for a while. I thought there was a deadline around Giannis Antetokounmpo having a sign to stay with Milwaukee. And I know there were kind of other suitors, but the Lakers have spent their money. I don't think there's room for him there. We talked about, like, did the Bucks make enough moves to satisfy or keep Giannis? happy and then there was the you know the Bogdanovich back and forth so talk to me what's the status there was even ideas of like Wall or Beal joining him as kind of a a guy right so where are we with Giannis because I mean preseason games are starting next week the season tips off in less than three uh what's up with the Giannis situation short term and long term so this has been an interesting uh, thing to follow because they got Drew Holiday and people were like, oh, Drew Holiday, it's a, right. a big deal. And then they got Bogdanovich. And then shortly after it was reported, oh, well, there's a huge indication that he's going to be signing that max extension. And then the Bogdanovich deal fell through and everyone was like, oh, boy, Milwaukee. Because for people that need to understand this, is Bogdanovich a make-or-break player for the Bucks winning the title? He could have been really important. But ultimately, no, I think that's fine to say that he's not. But it does show a little bit of ineptitude at the front office. And at the end of the day, that is maybe more important than anything. Because look at all those years that LeBron spent with Cleveland wasting time, right? And then he went to Miami, and then he kind of forced the hand of Cleveland, and now he's comfortable with L.A. Ultimately, though, we have to read the tea leaves, Nane. Miami was a big destination, they signed Bam Adebayo to a contract extension that pretty much takes him out of the running. The Lakers then became maybe the hot new destination that might make the phone call. And then LeBron and Anthony Davis just made some long-term commitments. I think right now Giannis will be signing the Supermax extension, but unfortunately for Milwaukee, it will not lift the burden of you need to win or he will request out a la James Harden. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe Giannis needs to go with all these one plus ones, just like you talked about LeBron, to keep the pressure on Milwaukee. We'll continue to talk about it. The season tips off soon. The morning after is up next. Have a great day, everyone.